Thank you, Pastor Tim. And let me say to Amy and Mark, welcome back from your world travels. Having gone all the way to Venice, no less, for a wonderful brief vacation, probably too brief, but still nice. I was thinking about renting a John boat and taking Jan down the Yakin River. But uh, now that you have romanticized your wife and taken her through those on a boat ride through the canals of Venice, uh, I'm going to cancel my boat John, John boat reservation. It's, can't compare to that. But it is good to have you back safely. And I covet your prayers for me because, as most of you know, I'll be traveling a bit this week. Uh, leave with a group organized by Governor Mike Huckabee Wednesday and be going to Poland. Um, and so next Sunday, uh, probably a few hours before now, uh, we will have worshipped, I believe, if our, my itinerary is right, I believe we will have worshipped in a uh, historic chapel there in Krakow, uh, uh, Poland. Uh, so I'll be thinking about you all and praying for you. Uh, I'll try to get my time straight so I'll know when you're actually going to be meeting in church. But y'all get up about 3 o'clock and pray for me that morning, okay? No, I'm just kidding. But I will... I will certainly covet your prayers as we travel from uh, the States to, to Poland and then to London and then from there to California and then I'll find my way back home, hopefully. If I call y'all from Czechoslovakia or someplace and I'm in jail, y'all <laughs> take a love offering quick, okay? But I'm excited, a little bit apprehensive, but very excited and deeply humbled that God has made this opportunity available for me to travel with this group that's predominantly pastors is the way I understand it, so... Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 14. It's where we're going to pick up today. We left off the Apostle Paul and his traveling companion, his missions companion, if you will, Barnabas, are making their way into Asia Minor as they're carrying the gospel not only to the Jews, but certainly focusing on Gentiles. This is a new dimension for the sharing of the gospel. And just recently we saw that they were at Antioch of Pisidia. There are several Antiochs on the landscape in that day. That was a popular name. Um, and so uh, anyway, they're in, in Asia Minor, the city of uh, Antioch and Pisidia in chapter 13. And, and as we see, as we follow, as Luke is recorded so meticulously for us in the book of Acts, the history of the early church and, and the history of the missionary movement. I hope you sense that connection. He's not just recounting ancient facts or giving us a narrative just to, to amuse us. God gives us everything in the Word of God for purpose. Just like in 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God. And, and it's, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be made perfect in all good works. So this account of the early church is here for you and, I, and me to glean principles uh, and 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 uh, also to understand the working of God in the body of Christ. What was true for the early Christians in the first century, ladies and gentlemen, though technology has changed and culture has changed and all that, the fact is, a lot of the same things that the Christians were encountering then, we encounter today. There's a pattern for Paul and Barnabas as they're going from, from area to area. And, and basically that is, we saw that in chapter 13. They go, first of all, to the synagogue. Because that's where you'll find the, the concentration of Jews in that community. And it stands to reason, if you're going to be trying to teach about the Messiah, and preach about the Messiah who has come, it's good to find people who even know something about the Messiah. And that should be the Jews, and that's reasonably where Paul starts. And so, but, but you're going to see a pattern that repeats itself in this passage that we're looking at today that was in 13, and it will be in other chapters subsequently as well. And that is, they go to the synagogue, and initially there's a favorable response, typically, mostly by the Gentiles, but even by some of the Jews. There's usually an initial uh, favorable response to the message of the gospel, but then... But then, the, the Jews that don't believe, whose hearts are blinded and hardened against God, against the message of the gospel, they rise up in opposition, create trouble, and there's Paul and Barnabas on the run again. So, you know, it's just a pattern you'll see there. And, and I think 
that's encouraging for, for us as Christians who, like in launching our Operation Love Your Neighbor yesterday, where we went out from the church, out into the local community, knocked on doors of mostly people we'd not met or didn't know, to, to just say, hi, we're your neighbor. We're Christians. We're from the church right here in your back door. All right, your back door. And, and we're here to just meet you and get to know you and, and tell you about, you know, the Lord and, and that type of thing. And so, you know, sometimes you'll see that people receive it warmly, and then sometimes they don't. Because, you see, even though the cultures change and even though times have changed, uh, people basically are the same. But I want you to see something before we just pull up stakes and leave chapter 13. Because we talked about how uh, at Antioch, Pisidia, where the, the Jews, you know, stirred up the, the townspeople. In fact, look at verse 50, chapter 13. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women. And I don't know if that's because women back then were more excitable. But then it, it soon caught on because then it says, And the chief men of the city and raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them, cast them out from their region. But look at verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and then came to Iconium. Now, that's interesting. I don't know how many of you, when you've been rebuffed by somebody or expelled from somebody's house, kicked out, or nobody, they wouldn't let you in the house, you took your shoes off. I demonstrated, but it take me a half hour to untie these uh, shoes of mine. But anyway, the, the, the custom was, as these disciples went, if they were, they were rejected, they would dust off the sandals at the town limit. As if to, as if to say, we're washing our hands of you. We don't, we don't want to carry with us the condemnation that's coming upon you, not even in dust on our sandals. We're going to leave it all because God's going to judge you. Now you may say, well that, that sounds kind of radical. Not really. Not really. If you want to hold your place there in chapter 14 and turn back to Matthew chapter 10, and we'll be looking at chapter 10 of Matthew because I believe these are marching orders by the Lord Jesus Christ to His disciples and to subsequent disciples how we conduct ourselves as we carry forth the, the gospel message. And so I just want to take you back to chapter 10 in Matthew's Gospel, verse 14, Jesus is speaking to His disciples. Now look what He says. And remember what you just saw Paul and Barnabas do. In verse 14, chapter 10 of Matthew, Jesus says, And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. They were simply following instructions. They were simply doing what Jesus says, this is what you do do. And the last thing, the, the, the people that have rejected you, the last thing they see ought to be a sign that says, woe unto you. We have nothing to do with you. We're leaving you in the hands of a God who is also a God of judgment and wrath. And whew. So they do that. And then they move on to Iconium, and that's where we pick up in chapter 14. But, you know, it's interesting. Just before you, you read verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 52, it says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What a contrast. But as we move forward into chapter 14, I want you to see several things. First, I want you to see that the gospel message Folks, do you love the gospel? I love the Lord. But the message of the gospel, it ought to burn in our hearts with a deep, devoted love for the Savior who gave so much to do for us that which we could never do in all of our merit and worth and, 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 and achievements and strength. We could never accomplish what Jesus did on the cross. Oh, listen, the gospel message stirs the hearts of people. And we'll look at that. Then also I want you to see how the gospel messengers rely solely on God. That's us. That's us. No matter where you are, in the break room, at your work, at school, in the hallway, across the street at your neighbor's, Wherever you may have opportunity to talk to someone and share with them the gospel, 
Know this. The gospel has a tendency to stir the hearts of people. But also those who are messengers of the gospel must rely solely on God. And then I want you to also see that the gospel mission reaches the chosen few. It, It always succeeds as God sends it. First of all, the gospel message stirs the hearts of men. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Now, it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, just like we said, and so spoke to a great multitude, that a, that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. In other words, literally contaminated their minds. With all kinds of untruth, so as to sway the Gentiles. Verse 3, therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to, to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. Verse 5, and when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it. That's Paul and Barnabas. They became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. The gospel stirs. The gospel message stirs the hearts of men. Paul realized that when he wrote Romans in chapter 1, verse 16, and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, first to the Jews and then to the Greeks. Paul says the gospel is powerful. But folks, the message of the gospel is also divisive. Don't kid yourself to think that just because you go sharing the gospel with people around you, that all of a sudden you're going to be favored in people's eyes and everybody's going to be gooey about you. So, oh, that's so nice and sweet. I'm so glad. Oh, hallelujah. Let's sing Come By Yah and circle up. The gospel message, dear friend, powerful, stirs the hearts of people, but it has a tendency to be divisive. How do we know that? Because back to chapter 10 in Matthew, Jesus said in verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. Wow. Jesus wasn't pulling any punches there. And he says in verse 37, And he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Folks, let me tell you something. Just be aware. Just be aware that you take the gospel message with integrity. Don't order it down. You just tell it like it is. Like the Bible says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the penalty of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. And there's only one way to be relieved of the penalty of sin. And that is Jesus Christ our Lord. When you take the the, the gospel message without compromising it, ladies and gentlemen, understand it can be divisive. So Paul and, Sa- and Paul and Barnabas are, are, are run out of town in, in Antioch of Pisidia, and now they find themselves trekking about 80 miles. You know, I appreciate it. When they talk about these, these missionaries, these, these apostles traveling from one place to another, have you ever walked 80 miles? That's how far it was. They, they didn't catch a train. Doesn't say anything about them having donkeys to ride. Just said, you know, they traveled. They sacrificed to get from one point to another. Nowadays, we get in our car. We say, I'm going to go across town and do some witnessing. I'm going to go to work and tell people about the drive into the comfort of your car, listen to the radio with the air conditioning. Hey, we, we jet to, to other countries to, to share the gospel on mission fields and things like that. They walked. Having been thrown out of one town, they walked to another town and here they are. And as they get there, as we see in those first verses of chapter 14, some hearts are are receptive to the gospel. They receive the gospel gladly. Gladly. 
with gratitude. Because it tells us in verse 1 that they so spoke that a great multitude, not just a multitude, but a great multitude. I think about a Billy Graham crusade. Boy, I enjoyed the, the message he just did on heaven that's a part of the My Hope America. We saw it uh, a couple of times Wednesday, the uh, senior adults and the companions, and then that night the uh, combined hope, uh, home groups. It's a wonderful message. But, but, you know, Billy Graham's used to having thousands and thousands. Uh, evangelist Greg Laurie, you know, he's drawing thousands to the stadiums. And, and, and unfortunately, heretics like the one coming to Greensboro in just a few days, they'll draw multitudes too. But Paul and Barnabas draw, drew a great multitude by the preaching of, of the gospel. They were coming. They gladly received. People's hearts were touched by the Spirit of God. These people understood what Paul was saying and they received the gospel gladly. And you know, we'll, we'll encounter people whose hearts have already been prepared. As you go out, wherever God takes you, it could be family members, it could be friends, it could be going out as a part of, of, of our operation Love Your Neighbor. You know, sometimes you'll encounter a person who God has already cultivated. They are ready. They want, they want a message of hope. And you hardly get the words out of your mouth. And they're saying, oh yes, this is what I need. I'm so glad. I've had experiences like that going out on visitation. And you almost have to pinch yourself. You know, I mean, I hardly get in and sit down and say, listen, do you mind if I talk to you a little bit about your relationship with the Lord? They say, oh, I'm so glad you came because I've been thinking about that. I've been really struggling with that. Tell me, you know, and and man, I just like saying, stick them to a hound dog, you know. And I say, well, well, yeah, yeah, let me me get my stuff out here. And, And what a joy it is. But understand that it is God who's doing the saving. It's God who's doing the preparing. But folks, let me tell you something. I, I, I am sure, though Luke may have not said it specifically, knowing the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, they never attempted to go anywhere to share the gospel that they didn't pray first. And that's one of the things that impresses me so much about Dr. Billy Graham, about Greg Laurie as evangelists. They have got it. They understand. You don't dare try to go before people and share the gospel without praying. You bathe every crusade weeks in advance, months in advance. They'll ask churches to be praying for months in advance before they even get to town with the message. Prayer is critical. And so should it be for you and me. As a church, how dare us go out there to reach our neighbors to share the good news of the gospel if we haven't gone before God first and sought His leadership and His guidance and His blessings and the movement of His Spirit. But let me tell you something else. When you do it individually, personally, don't try to talk to your family members, a lost family member, a lost friend or neighbor, a lost schoolmate or, 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 or co-worker. If you haven't prayed for them first, That's why James chapter 5 verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I believe they pray. But then, as we see the the story unfold here, some hearts are very receptive to uh, to the gospel message, but then some hearts reject God's gift. And I mean reject God's gift of salvation with sinful disdain. As if they just can't stand it. Some of you that have babies and you're trying to feed them baby food. Somebody ought to be whipped in those companies and make that stuff. That's, any babies listening? Farrah, cover her ears. Some of that stuff is nasty. And some of the combinations that they think of, you know? Pineapples and liver. Man, good gracious. Don't they think babies have taste buds too? But it's funny though, it doesn't take those little, little guys, little gals long. Sooner or later, you know, you stick that little spoonful of peas, you know, and as soon as it touches the tongue, ah! (laughs) You can't get it down even with a tube. No. That's the way some people are about the gospel message. They disdain it. They hate it. We see that. Listen, it shouldn't surprise us. John, early on in his gospel message, talking about Christ, the Son of God, coming into the world. John chapter 1 verse 11 of his gospel message, he said that, he says he came to his own, the Jews, Jesus, a Jew by descent, came to his own and his own did not receive him. The Lord Jesus knew even from the get-go, from the day he was born in a, in a 
Bethlehem stable, Jesus knew that there would be many who would reject Him. And that played out all the way to the cross. Who was it that was standing at the foot of the cross when the Son of God, the Savior of the world, hanging there by His hands nailed to a cross and His feet nailed to a cross with a, with a thorny crown crushed down upon His skull, bleeding and suffocating for, for our sins? Who was it that was taunting Him? Who was it that was making fun of Him? It was His people. Oh my goodness. And, and, and so this played over and over and over. But again, in chapter 10, as Jesus is giving marching orders to his disciples, he, he told them right, right from the very beginning there in Matthew chapter 10, in verse 22, he says, And you will be hated by all for my sakes, my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus warned his disciples, listen, you go out there, you, you, you faithfully preach the message of the gospel. There will be some who will gladly receive you, but there will be some that the minute you mention the name of Jesus, it's as if you slapped them with a cold fish. Man, you can just see the hair come up on the back of their necks. Why? Because their sinful flesh nature rejects God, these are people who are living in spiritual blindness. As Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talked about those who would reject the message. He says, those whose minds the God of this age, little g, has blinded them. Who's the God of this age? Satan. The reason people reject the message of the gospel is because they've been blinded by the devil. Just like the Jews were poisoned in the mind of many of the Gentiles to reject Paul and Barnabas. Listen, Satan is still poisoning the minds of men, women, teenagers, and children today. So I'm not going to go witnessing anymore because I don't like rejection. I want everybody to like me. No, no. Go. Here's a helpful tip. A good seasoned pastor told me one time, I was starting out in my ministry, he said, Brother Charlie, I'll tell you something, you gotta get out there and witness, get your people out there to witness, and you're gonna get a lot of heartbreak. There are gonna be a lot of people that just won't hear it, they'll slam the door, stick the dog on you, whatever. But he says, don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. Because in actuality, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Savior who you represent. So ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we must go. We must share. There will be those who will receive. The the gospel message will stir their hearts in favor. But then there are those out there like the ones that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man. He said the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Neither can he receive them because they're spiritually discerned. But don't stop going. Don't stop sharing. Understand that they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Savior. You just pick up dust. If you got sandals on, go ahead and dust your shoes off as you leave the porch. No, don't. I'm just kidding. Somebody might shoot you. I don't know. Nowadays you have to be so careful. The gospel message stirs the hearts of men. But then also when we talk about the gospel messengers, it's important for you and I to understand as we look at the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, the gospel messengers must rely solely on God. Y'all understand that? Y'all, here I go talking like a southerner. We got some Yankees here and I love y'all, okay? I mean, you all. I mean, usins. Okay. But the fact is, see, I'm a trend off there. It'll come back around. Kind of like Haley's comment. That thought comes out. <laughs> the fact is, we don't go out there to share the gospel in our own cuteness and intelligence and our own polished ability to speak. Listen, we're not training salesmen. You're not selling anything. You're a messenger. You are an ambassador. You're representing the God of the universe. When you stand in somebody's doorway or you sit in their living room and you begin to share with them the truth of the gospel and how it is that they are sinners but God loves them and God's Son died for them and if they're willing to accept Christ by faith truly to believe upon Him and to commit to live their lives after Him repenting of their sins and walking away from sin listen, you have the authority you have the delegated authority 
authority of God. When they pray that prayer along with you and you sense it is genuine, you have the authority to reach out to them and shake their hand and say, God bless you. Welcome to the family of God. But don't do it in your own strength. It doesn't depend upon our strength. It doesn't depend upon our abilities. It doesn't depend upon our methods. And Paul understood that. Paul understood that everything that he needed to be successful as a messenger of the gospel, God would provide. He provided Paul and Barnabas. He'll provide you and me, his messengers, with the right words and affirmation. They go into Iconium in verse 1 of chapter 14. Share share the word of God. What happens? Boom! God affirms them by many people receiving the Lord. But then in verse 3 of chapter 14, look at there. Therefore, it says they stayed. And yet, let me just stop there for a second. That's important because I read, I read, I passed right by that therefore. If you stop and you read it in context of the previous verse, the previous verse says that the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, if I was writing, therefore, they left town. Therefore, they said, y'all don't want us here. We're leaving. Therefore, they since rejected, so they left. That's the logical flow. But you see, Luke tells us they weren't looking for the, quote, logical thing to do. They were dependent upon God. So even though the people were turning against them, it says, therefore, they stayed there a long time. Even knowing that the Jews were cranking up the poison in the minds of the people. And they were speaking boldly. Listen, speaking boldly how? In the Lord. Don't get outside of the parameters of God's Word with your own subjective opinion and start going off in tangents that are about political correctness or I feel like. No, you just tell people what the Word of God says. Let God speak through you. You don't ever have to worry about not having the words to say. Because God will supply. He did it there. They spoke boldly to the people. They bore witness for the Lord there. And God spoke through them. Let me tell you something. God will speak through you. He he told Moses. You remember in Exodus chapter 4 verse 12. And God told Moses. I want you to go to Pharaoh. The most powerful man in the secular world. And tell tell Pharaoh. Let my people go. And, and, and Moses just did what I would do. But yeah, but yeah, but yeah, man, what am I going to say? God says, "Go now, therefore, and I will teach your mouth what you will say. I'll, I'll give you the words, Moses. Just go." So when you think about using the excuse of being tongue-tied, or I don't know what to say. I don't want to witness because I don't know the right, right words. I, I'm not as polished as Pastor Tim or Pastor Chad, you know, or, or the deacons. I'm not, you know. Listen, that doesn't wash. Listen to what Jesus said. Over in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 19, going back to the marching orders, He said, but when they deliver you up, do not, be, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak. Do you get that? But it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. That's why you pray. That's why you pray. You say, Lord, give me the words. Lord, put upon my heart the very things that I need to say. Lord, take me to the portion of your word that I need to share with this individual. Listen, just go. Just let God say through through you what He wants to say to the individuals and then leave the results to God. I believe that's what the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were doing. But also the... The gospel messengers, as they depend solely upon God, not only did God provide them with the the words, the right words, and give them the affirmation. You see in in verse 3 of chapter 14, where God was using signs. These were signs that were given to them as apostles to be able to do wonders in in in, in the presence of the people that would convince the people. But God also protects His messengers, even in the face of fiery trials. And you'll see that played out all through the life of the Apostle Paul. You know, if I was Paul, and, and you know, you got the word from Ananias in chapter 9 of, of Acts, when, when Jesus told Ananias to go to, to, to Saul of Tarsus then, uh, who was just now being uh, confronted with by Christ. And in Acts chapter 9, 15, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen, speaking of, of Paul, 
He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentile kings and the children of Israel. But look at verse 16. Or listen to verse 16. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Jesus didn't pull any punches. He didn't, he didn't uh, uh, lead Saul blindly into to, to going out there as a missionary. He made it known. Look, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for the cause of the gospel. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have been duped into thinking that because you're a Christian, that you're going to be favored in everybody's eyes and everybody's going to welcome you in and, and serve you crumb cake and coffee and tea or whatever and just, you know, hey, get real. Get real. There is suffering associated with faithfulness to the Lord. Now granted, there will be wonderful opportunities where you'll see the Lord work and you will rejoice. But through those trials, through those hard times, understand that God preserves His faithful servants. Jesus made that very clear back in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said, Go, be fearless. Share the gospel. Tell people, God will preserve you as you go. And I believe Paul not only understood that, I believe he adopted that fully into his heart. For instance, in Romans in chapter 8, verse 38, where Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like a man who was convinced? That even though he was walking into the pathway of suffering, that the Lord was faithfully going to see him through? And guess what? The Lord will see us through too. We see that played out. The Lord will preserve us as long as we trust Him. Trust Him. As Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. There will be things that as God leads you to share the gospel with friends or co-workers or neighbors, there will be things that you don't understand. You may say, wait a minute, why, why, why has God got me here? I asked that of that same question on my first missionary journey over to volunteer missionary journey over to Kenya when I found myself climbing up the mountainside of the Great Rift Valley into this crude, you know, uh, village with thatch roofs and dirt and open fires and, you know, I, man, I, I, is this a Tarzan movie? <laughs> and honestly, as I huffed and puffed and got to the top of the Grand Rift Valley, and Pat was my traveling partner, so you can very see vouch for this. We were working to, as a team that day, and we had to trail up behind some mules and, I mean, some uh, cows to climb that mountain, and finally got to the top, and I was standing there and l- looking at, I said, like, what am I doing here? No matter where God takes you, no matter where He allows you to be sharing, understand this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. He may put you in the face of a pit bull type of a personality. That you just think, oh, ah, He wants me to talk to my boss. Oh, axe head. Oh, surely this has got to be a mistake. And God's saying, go, go. Or maybe at school, you know, he's got you talking to one of the toughest football players who's known to just crush average students and eat them for snack. I mean, yeah, and God is pushing you, nudging you. Go talk to him. Go, he'll kill me, Lord. Go, go, that's all right. You're going to go to heaven. No. Go talk to him. Go talk to her. Trust in the Lord. i got to move along. Because the gospel message stirs hearts. The gospel messenger relies solely upon the Lord. But listen, the gospel mission reaches the chosen few. It always, it always. I always think about Isaiah fifty-five eleven, where the prophet Isaiah, God saying through the prophet Isaiah about His word, He says, "So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth; it shall not return to me empty or fruitless or void, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will." it will be productive in the thing for which I've sent it. God says, my word doesn't come back empty. Now, does that mean everybody we share with is going to accept Jesus Christ and be saved? No. No. 
Will most of the people that I talk to about Jesus be saved? Probably not. If you remember what I shared with you in the previous message about the majority of people dying and going to hell on the face of the earth based on the Scriptures. Well, why should I go? Listen, if it's for one, if it's for one individual, then I ask you, is it not worth it? For one person, when you step over into glory someday, to run up to you and hug your neck, and like that old Ray Bolt song, say, thank you, thank you for giving to the Lord. I was that one. I'm here because you were faithful. In verse 8, after they were run out of, of Iconium, and in Lystra, a certain man, they, they, they moved to Lystra and they're preaching the gospel. A certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing how intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. This is reminiscent of Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, where Peter healed a lame man. Well, it's a little different scenario here because Peter was in Jerusalem where there are a lot of Jews. Paul is here now in Lystra where it's pagan land. Pagan. Very few Jews. Okay, so I want you to listen. This is really an intriguing kind of an episode. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but, but I want you to see what happens. In verse 11, Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, he owed a man who had never walked, ever, from his mother's womb, never that gets people's attention in pagan land. And they raised their voices and saying in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul, Hermes. This is, these are the Greek gods. Zeus was a head god. Hermes was a god of oration and speech. So Paul has the big mouth. So they just said... Barnabas has got to be Zeus. Paul's got to be Big Mouth. We mean Hermes. Now, why would they say that? It's interesting because a Roman poet by the name of Ovid shares that in that area, in Lystria, there was a traditional story that many years ago, two men, strangers, walked into town. Unbeknownst to the people, it was Zeus and Hermes. And they went around the village and they were asking the people for food because they were hungry. And the people rejected them. Except for one elderly couple. And this elderly couple, a man by, Philemon, by the name of Philemon and his wife, his name is Baucus, they were kind and gave them food. And this fable, the parable, or fable goes on to say that Zeus and her Hermes destroyed everybody else with a massive flood. But, to Philemon and Bacchus, they were made priests, and their little shack was turned into a temple, and they lived long, and even when they died, they, they were transformed into two massive trees that stood forever. Now, go back to where we are. Here comes these two strangers, preaching this message they never heard, and one of them says to the man that we've seen for all his life never take a step, get up and walk, mister, and and the people see that, and what's the first thing that's going to come to their mind? He's back. Zeus is back. Hermes is with him. Oh my goodness, we don't want to get flooded out this time. So they begin to worship them. Oh, it was so ridiculous because by verse 19 or 13, the, the priest of Zeus whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates intended to sacrifice with the multitudes. Why, they were going to have a sacrifice to the new gods who walked into town, Zeus and Hermes and people all excited in this bands playing in this fanfare. But look at verse 14. When, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in the multitudes of the people crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these vain things to the living God. See, they're witnessing, but in a different way. They're not trying to go through the Old Testament. 
Testament because these people don't know the Old Testament. They're going with the basics. The message changes with the context. They're just simply saying, look, we're not gods. We're representing the one God. Does it ever rain here? Sure it does. Does your rain ever cause fruit to grow? Sure it does. Do your grain come up? Yeah, sure it does. Does God cause good things to come in? Sure he does. They said, this is the God that we represent. We're not gods. In verse 16, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Verse 17, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. All these people were, they were bent on worshiping Paul and Barnabas and everything they could do to just keep them from doing that. I think about some of these TV preachers. Boy, they would have jumped on that like a dog on a bone. Oh, man. Worship me. Send your cards and checks in. Worship me. Get your t-shirts with my name on it. Worship me. You know, join our club. Buy our books. Oh, worship us. Not Paul. Paul said, listen, don't you dare. Don't even think about it. Because we're not God. We represent Him. Well, verse 19 rolls around. You're going to be shocked and surprised. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they talk about fickle people. They don't worship you one minute, right? Well, look at verse 19. (laughs) They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Man, this is crowds you don't want to be around much. Love you one minute, they'll kill you next. Uh, you know, I, if Paul is anyways conscious and they're dragging him out, bloody, bruised, teeth knocked out, and, all, I, and, and I, if, if I was Paul, I'd be looking up with my last breath and I'd say, why didn't Barnabas get stoned? <laughs> I guess because he was the vehicle. So, but, but now, folks, let me just say something very quickly. Gosh, you could preach a whole message on the connection between, or the supposed connection between this verse, verse 19, where Paul was stoned and supposed to be dead. Didn't say, Luke didn't say, oh yeah, he's dead. Now Luke, tradition tells us, was a physician. He was medically you know, knowledgeable. I believe he could have declared Paul dead. But he said, supposed him to be dead. Okay? Because there's a passage over in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, where Paul's saying, I know of a man who, who, whether in the body or not, went up to the third heavens and, and saw things such that we couldn't even utter because they're so holy. Now, some people have tried to say, well, you know, that's Paul. He died. Right there, he died. In chapter 19, uh, verse 19, he died, he went to heaven, he had some visions, he came back, and that's Paul, he's writing about himself. It looks easy to make that connection, but, but you've got to be careful to make sure you look at it factually. Because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, he says 14 years earlier. You go back and work the numbers, that would predate when Paul was there in Lystra. So it wasn't Paul. And, and, and let me just say this, and I know y'all probably get mad at me, but again, if you got one of those books written by the supposed, one of these supposed geniuses that died, went to heaven, and came back and telling everything that they saw, to, listen, it's of the devil. If you go back and read chapter 12, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 5, and Paul will make it clear, even this fellow who supposedly in, in the body, out of the body, in the vision, whatever, saw things, didn't utter it. God's not bringing people to heaven, letting them see things, to come back here and blabber and write books and have speaking tours. Everything we need to know about heaven, brothers and sisters, is right here in the Word of God. And Paul doesn't even try to get off on some tangent about... Okay. Verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. Oh, I'm sorry. You got to see the rest of verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. What a man. What a man. Get stoned one day. And I'm not talking about on drugs. <laughs> Somebody said, hey man. I said, cool. 
Paul stoned him and he goes back and preached. No, he, he went back into, he went back into the, the town of Derby and people who supposed he was dead said, good grief, look! Zeus, Hermes, whoever he is, he's walking around. Look, he's got bruises, his teeth knocked out. He's got the knots on his head and he's back here preaching. Folks, oh, if Christians could have just that kind of determination and resilience. We, we get smacked verbally by somebody and, and we get all hurt and say, I'm not going, I'm not going back to church. I'm not going to go witnessing. I'm, I'm mad at the world. Get real. Okay? You're going to have to stand in heaven with Paul someday. What are you going to say? Somebody hurt my feelings, so I'm not going to tell them about Jesus anymore. Paul says, look, look, see, these teeth, no, he'll have his perfect body, he'll have teeth. But he'll say, they used to be knocked out. <laughs> this, I had a lump this big on my head. This arm was probably broken. Head contusions. Look, you're telling me you got your feelings hurt? Oh, goodness. God, listen, through it all, through it all, through it all. Verse 21, and when they preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Isn't that amazing? If I had been run out of towns, stoned in towns, and ostracized in towns, you know what I would have done? There, there was a shorter route back to Antioch of, of, of Syria. He could have taken another route, got a short, and never had to see these nasty faces again. I'm sorry. And I have to offend somebody. But, but I'm so, these people that have been so rude, what do you do? He goes back. He goes back. He backtracked back through Lystra, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, Pisidia, all the way backtrack to Antioch of Syria. Why? Why? Because. <laughs> if you miss this, you miss the message. <laughs> Some of you are waking up now. <laughs> no, listen. If you miss this, you missed the message. In the face of all the adversity, all the tribulation, all the fiery trials, all the persecution, let me tell you something. Seeds were being sown. Disciples were being made. Where? In Derby? Where they ended up preaching? Well, surely not back there in Lystra where all those people were stoning. Oh, but wait a minute. Look at verse 20. Look at When the disciples gathered around him. Where did the disciples come from? There were people right there in the city of Lystra where they stoned him. There were believers there. But folks, it, 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 it gets even better. Because all the way back at Iconium, verse 14, what do we see? We saw a multitude of disciples. They never left. Paul, look at verse 52. How about Antioch of Pisidia, where it started, all the persecution started? Look at verse 52 of chapter 13. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Do you see what, what's happening? All along the way, Paul is sowing the seeds. In the midst of the storms, he's sowing the seeds. Jesus preached the parable of the sower. And he said, some of the seeds will land on the stony ground. Won't take, some of the stones will be, some of the seeds will be among thorns. They'll get choked out. Some of the seeds, the birds, the Satan, the demons will swoop them up. But he said, some of the seeds will fall on good soil and bear fruit. And there we got it. There we have it. And Paul is going back. Listen, here's the joyful thing about it. If you look at chapter 14, verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church. Folks, not only were believers being made, churches were being planted. Paul's going back now and he's, he's encouraging the churches. And scripturally you see how God's pattern is for leadership in the church. He says, and they appointed plural elders in every one of the churches. Not one single autocratic pastor, but, but a, a, a team of pastors. And, and appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Verse 24. And after they had passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. Now see, they're backtracking. Now when they had, re- they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch. Remember, Antioch of Syria. That's where they were commissioned to go. Where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Verse 27. And when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that Paul and Barnabas had done. Wrong. No. They reported all that God 
had done with them. And that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Can you imagine that church at Antioch of Syria? Here's Paul, still got some gashes and some bruises, you know, and he's telling them, and he says, oh yeah, we had hard times, we got run out of hounds, we got stoned, oh yeah, it was tough. But listen, the, the gospel is moving forward. The believers over there in Galatia, there are Christians over there in the pagan lands. There are churches over there in Galatia. We planted and God is growing them and the gospel is moving forward. That's the essence of the message. Oh, listen, weary witness, tucking your Bible under your shoulder, under your arm, and going out on a cold fall, winter night, or afternoon. Maybe just one or two of you. And you knock on door after door and time after time. People either don't come to the door or they'll rebuff you at the door the minute that you mention that you're from a church. Or maybe they cuss you out or whatever. And you, you keep, you keep sowing and you keep on sowing and you keep sharing and you keep telling them. You go home and maybe you're, you're discouraged and you feel like, we said it was worth it. Is there anything coming out of this? Huh. There is fruit. You may not see it in this lifetime. I have come along the way in witnessing where I know some faithful soul poured their hearts out to this individual, pleading with them to accept Christ, and they turned them down and they rebuffed them, and they probably went away thinking, oh my goodness, this person's going to go to hell. And years later, I would just happen, just happen. To show up at that person's doorstep and God has cultivated that seed. And I just walk in and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Yes, I'm glad you're here. I've really been under, you know, so-and-so talked to me about Jesus a couple years ago. I was just hard-headed and everything, but yes, I need the Lord. (laughs) Don't ever underestimate what God will do through faithful people who are willing to take Him at His word. And go with the good news of the gospel. Oh, the gospel message. Do you love the gospel? For God so loved the world, me and you, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in in, in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, I love the gospel because it assures me my sins have been forgiven. It assures me that I belong to the family of God. It assures me that even when I leave this world, I've got a home waiting for me that Christ is preparing for me to live in His presence for eternity. Oh, listen, do I love the gospel? Yes. With all my heart, so should you.